Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Today's guest is Dr. Lisa Moreno. She's a double board certified pediatrician and allergist immunologist. Her work focuses on children with complex medical needs. We are excited to hear about why she's a doctor and how her career keeps her going. Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge, and my co-host today is Ronisha from MS356Q. Ronisha, welcome. It's so nice to co-host with you today. And why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are? I'm Ronisha. I'm 14. I play sports. I play basketball. I'm a designer. I have my own business, starting my own business. And yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? I just started like putting designs on t-shirts and then I just found it satisfying. So, yeah. All right, Ronisha, it sounds like you're an entrepreneur, so that's exciting. But maybe by the time you're done this conversation, you're going to want to be a doctor. What do you think? Actually, I want to go to high school to be a nurse. So I'm going to Benjamin Franklin for nursing. Being that you want to go on to nursing, are you excited about today's guest? Yes. (laughs) All right. Welcome, Dr. Moreno. Thank you very much for having me. What is your first question? Why did you choose to become a doctor? I am one of those people who, since I was five years old, I remember saying I want to be a doctor, and I specifically wanted to be a kid's doctor. I had a lot of reinforcement, particularly from my grandfather, who always said, I want you to be a doctor. So I don't know if it stayed ingrained, but I've always had that desire. What kind of doctor are you? So I have two specialties. So when you finish your training to be a doctor, through medical school, you choose a field, right? And there is certain fields that are called primary care. And those are for general care. So it's like for general care for adults. There's general care for women who are pregnant. There is general care for children. So my first is the general care of children, and that's pediatrics. So I completed my training in that, and I'm board certified pediatrician. But then I took it and I specialized even further. And I do practice a field called allergy immunology. And this is a field that is different because with that specialty, you can actually see all ages. So I can see newborns to the elderly. So my age population, when I practice allergy immunology, is all ages. But I also have my training for pediatrics, which is from birth to about 21 years of age. Okay, that's really good to hear. What are some skills you have gained as a doctor? I've learned how to communicate with people, communicate at all levels. You know, it's not just a doctor saying, this is what we think you should do or how to treat, but just how to communicate with people as people and get to know them and to build relationships with them. Okay. What are some challenges that you had to go through to become a doctor? And how did you, like, face them? Good question. To become a doctor, there's a lot of different phases. So there's a lot of school you have to do. So first, after I finished high school, you do your four-year 
years of college, and usually that's when you decide you want to be a doctor. You're seriously pursuing it, meaning you get yourself ready for the tests that you have to take, and you start applying to the medical school. Medical school itself is four years. Then when you're in medical school, toward the last year, you choose what fields you want to specialize, and that's called internship slash residency. For pediatrics, it was three years, and then I subspecialized for another three years. So if I think of that whole time frame, which is about 12 years, the hardest part for me was I get very focused. You can get lost and so busy with the schoolwork that's expected, you know, when you're in the classroom phase, when you're training in your residency, you get so busy with all of the responsibilities you have to do. It's important to make time for yourself. So for me, that was one of the biggest challenges. And the other challenge is you want to be able to really be with your friends and family a lot. And sometimes you have obligations that you have to really manage your time really well. And sometimes even though you try to manage it the best you can, emergencies come up and they're out of your control. So that was the biggest challenge for me. But I think along the way you learn everybody makes it work based on their priorities and what's important to them. How hard is it to be a doctor? It takes a lot of commitment. I think if you really set your mind to it, anybody potentially can do it. Part of making that decision is saying, this is something I want to do, because that's the first thing. There's so much time and effort behind it. You want to make sure that it's right for you. I have to say, is it hard? It's hard because you have to focus on what you have to do and really time manage really well. Yes, you have to know what you're doing, but that comes with doing it frequently, right? You only become an expert when you practice practice, right? Everyone's starting out and whatever you do, you're new to it, right? And the only way you can really excel at it is if you keep on doing it. Yes. Okay. That was interesting to me. What is your work routine on a daily basis? So my work routine is a little different. I kind of dabble in a lot of different things. I'll give you a little bit so you can understand why I say that. So I had worked in a hospital for a very long time. When I say most of my career, I've been a doctor now for about 22 years. And I'd say about 17 of those years, I was hospital-based and I treat children, and then I went on to specialize into another field for children called allergy immunology. So my typical day in that setting was working from nine to maybe six o'clock or so in the hospital, seeing patients between my clinic and if I had to see patients that were admitted to the hospital, sometimes they would call me to what we get it's called a consult in the emergency room where someone had symptoms that were concerning for the conditions that I treat. And I would do that too. So that was traditional. Now I've kind of dabbled a little bit more into talking about a lot of pediatric based topics. And I work for another part of healthcare where I actually do a lot of reviews of cases and I help with health policy, and I lead a program through New York State for children that are very vulnerable and sick to make sure that all their needs can be met. So 
that day for me right now is from about 8.30ish to 5. A lot of it is computer-based, but I plan to return to seeing patients in person in the next couple of weeks, and I'll combine it with this. So I'll do like a day of seeing patients in person, and then the rest of my days will be applying everything I've learned in the past four years in terms of dealing with healthcare from a different perspective, still focusing on children predominantly. So that's my day at work for the most part. And then I have three children and two dogs. So my second half of my day starts when I'm done with the first half. And that kind of lasts. And I can't say when that ends. So sometimes it ends at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock if it's a school night. If it's the summer, I have night owls and it can be later than that. So that's my day. (laughs) What kind of dogs do you have? I have a golden retriever. And he's about 100 pounds, and he looks like a lion, but he is really playful. And then I have a little dog who's older. So my golden retriever is five, and I have a King Charles, and he is nine years old. And he is really the ruler of the house, (laughs) the smaller one compared to the big one. The big one will follow anything the smaller one does. Yeah, so those are my two dogs. They are Snuggles and Marshall. Actually, I have a shit chew, so really good dog. If you hadn't became a doctor, what would you want to be? If you did have a different job, would you be as passionate about it? You know, for all I just said, for wanting to be a doctor, wanting to be a doctor, when I was in college, I went one year to State University in Albany. And then I was about to transfer out to Boston University and study journalism. And I thought about medical journalism, but journalism in general. So that was another career choice I was just about to make. And then last minute, I visited the college that I actually went to, which is in Westchester. It's called Manhattanville College. And I fell in love with the campus. And I fell in love with the fact that it was so close to home that I was able to dorm mean to live at the campus but, but hop on a train and be home in less than an hour i decided to stick with my pre-med was your family supportive when you told them not to be a doctor yeah my grandfather always said i want you to be a doctor i'm the first doctor in my family so they were very excited but at the same time my family was very supportive of me as a person and you know they always said this isn't something you have to do for us, you need to do what's going to make you happy. I, I went away to medical school. I have a very close family. So to do well, you have to put the time in. And a lot of that was a lot of sacrifice. I think, especially my first year of medical school, I would come home like on the weekend. I would say, I think I'm going to change. It's shorter to be a nurse in terms of time frame. It's less expensive. I think I'm going to go into nursing school. My family was whatever makes you happy was always their response. But they said, but don't do it because you're afraid you can't do it. Do it because that's what you truly want to do. And that made me realize they're right. I'll always look back and say, hey, you wanted to be a doctor. You know, it's a point in time where you have to be all ingrained and then you'll get the benefits of it. And you'll get this self-gratification of doing what you want to do and in the way you want to do it. That's good. At least you have a good supporting family. Yeah, Um, yeah, I did. 
Do you have any siblings? And if so, do you get along with them? So my parents just had me, but my dad had five other children. So I have five half-siblings. I grew up in a very close-knit family. So my mother and my aunt lived in the same house. So I had a cousin, and we were only six months apart. So he's like a brother to me. So even though I'm the only child, I never felt like an only child. And I think, yeah, everybody at times gets on each other's nerves, right? That's normal. But as long as you learn that person still means the world to you, you'll get over it. You accept everybody for who they are. I have six siblings, including a twin brother. Oh, wow. And how is that? It's very stressful because having a twin brother, you know, everything that he wants to do and I want to do is like conflict. So it's very hard. Are you like middle children? I'm the youngest. Oh, you're the youngest. Is the oldest a boy or a girl? It's a girl. It'll be interesting to see her viewpoint from when she was your age to, you know, how things are for you now. You should really cherish that. What is your nationality? So my family's from Puerto Rico. I was born here in New York, but still very close to my roots. I'm still very family oriented. And that's always driven me back because the core of my family is here in New York. Do you see how like robots are taking over? Yes, yes. In, like other countries. Mm-hmm. Do you think that robots are going to take over in the medical field? And how would you feel about that? That is a really great question. So I actually went back to school several times after I finished medical school. And I got a master's degree in health policy. And now I have a master's degree in business administration. And part of me doing this, I had to take part in what you call a capstone project. So it's like a big end of the semester project. And mine was in artificial intelligence. And the short acronym for that is AI. And that's kind of like what you're alluding to with the robots. And there's a lot of positives that this form of technology can offer for medicine. But nothing is as precise as the human brain. So I think there's lots of benefits for robots. They can streamline things. They can make things easier. In the height of COVID, we've seen in certain parts of the world so that there wouldn't be that patient to health provider contact. They had robots actually triaging the patients, meaning they would be the first ones to greet the patients and get their vital signs because at the onset of COVID, right, everyone was so fearful with that initial contact because their vaccines still weren't out. It was a new illness. So it served a purpose and it served a purpose well. And I think it definitely offers that opportunity. There's many surgeries that are robotic-based surgeries. There's many technologies in various fields of medicine that kind of follow that same process. And it's more of a technology-driven process where it's able to bring together all the data, all the information, and process it to the next step in management, or just to do a process that really is just grabbing the information like that robot did when it was triaging the patients and providing it to the next level of care so that they can manage it. But overall, for all the fears that people may have or the the thoughts that they will take over, not all cases are the same and you need that human brain to tease it out and to make those really important decisions. You just told me a lot. Yes.
Dr. Moreno, can you tell me a little bit about how the medical field was impacted by COVID? How do you think it's changed? And what do you think we can see going forward in the future? I think medicine of all fields was definitely the most impacted, obviously from COVID being a pandemic worldwide. I think how it's changed medicine is it opened up blinders that I think were sometimes not very pleasant to see, but necessary to see. And I think that's important because now medicine is integrating that and recognizing, for example, we'll see disparities in care. And this was always alluded to, but now there are forefront studies that are focusing just on disparities of care and how that affects outcomes. And with that, the good news is bringing light to that brings more information and more education and more funding and more training. So, you know, taking it from the broader spectrum of how that's opens in the media, bringing it down to the education of future doctors, it's now being integrated into how they're being trained. And it's important because we recognize that patient is a patient. It doesn't matter where you're from. You get an illness, it's the same illness. Every patient is different. No patient is textbook. But recognizing that we have to approach every patient the same way and potentially aim to provide all the same resources, right? Because the goal is to do the best we can for that patient and realizing that there's so many different dynamics in a patient's life that impact their outcomes. I think that's really important. So we've seen a lot of focus on what we call social determinants of health and how that impacts outcomes as well. So I think with all of the sad outcomes we saw with COVID, there are some gleaming lights that actually lead us to the future of medicine that can lead to better outcomes for everybody. I actually have a question. Sure. As a doctor, would you like want people to get the vaccination or do you not support the vaccination? Very brave of you to ask that question. And I have to say, I am a pediatrician and my role is to make sure that children have the best health they can. And part of that is vaccination in general. And as a allergist immunologist, and I deal with the immune system, we know that vaccines are the best way to help prevent severe illness. So 100%, I have to say that I advocate for vaccines. Okay. How would you like to make an impact in the world? If I was to say it from a doctor's point of view, that I made a positive influence in a patient's life so that they either understand their condition better or they take their health more seriously and recognize and feel self-empowered to take better care of themselves. And that's anything. It doesn't have to be taking a medicine. It could be getting educated on the simplest thing of a vitamin, right? And being able to educate a patient and their families of different ways that they can better control their lives and um, keep themselves healthier. So for me, that's the most important thing. Thank you. That's really good to hear. Do you ever get a chance to relax? And if so, 
What do you do? How do you do it? Like in what order? 15 years ago, I used to go out with my friends all the time and I would go to the gym frequently on my downtime. I would just hang out at home and watch TV. Now it's very different as I have a family. So for me, any downtime I have, I spend with my family. If I don't, I try to fit in a little bit of exercise here and there when I can, for sure. But most of my free time is spent with my family. Have you ever wanted to quit or it got so overwhelmed that you just wanted to leave your job? I think everybody goes through a point in that. In, in the medical field, you see it a lot of times in the media. It's called burnout, right? You work so hard and so hard and you just feel like, you know what? I need a break. I need to stop doing this. But a lot of it is pacing yourself and recognizing, hey, I'm not feeling as happy as I was in the past doing this. So like I said, it's really important to find time for yourself and to kind of refresh. And sometimes you just have to learn something new and try a different way of doing it. I think most people would say, yes, sometimes I just feel like this is it. It's been a really bad day, but the next day is better. So that's how you have to handle anything whenever you feel like you're at your brink's end. Um, What happens when you mess up or make a mistake? You realize that you learn from it. You have to own up to it. I think that's really important. Just last week, I finished teaching a course through Columbia University for high school students who are interested in medicine as a career. One of the topics we talked about is bedside manner. And with that is the fact that health providers are people too, and everyone makes mistakes. And when you make a mistake, hopefully you can recognize it before it does any harm to anybody. But there are unfortunate cases where there may have been harm to a patient, but I think as a healthcare provider, and I say that in general, so it's not only doctors, it's nurses, it's everybody on the team, is that you have to be honest And when I say own up to it, it is recognize this is an error on my part because there's ways you can potentially rectify it, improve it, treat it if you made a mistake the wrong way. But more importantly is you want to build a trust with your patient because if you lose that trust with your patient, patient usually will not feel inclined to do all they can for their best outcome. A sense of trust is really important to me. And part of that is being completely honest. What is some advice that you would give kids my age or teenagers my age who want to become a doctor? So the first thing I would say is always believe in yourself. If this is something you want to do, you can do it. Don't let anyone ever talk you out of it. Okay. Second is always be true to yourself, whatever that is, because you don't want to look back and say, I wish I would have done that. You want to give yourself that chance. Because every goal is attainable. It really is. And I mean, some people have more barriers than others. There's a way to achieve it. Just connecting with the right people and really speaking for yourself and never losing sight of what it is that you're reaching. Okay. Those are all the questions I have for today. You asked some really good questions, I have to say. Uh, I have a question for you. What grade are you in? I'm actually going to high school. I just graduated from Coldwell Community Voices. Oh, very good. Is you going to ninth grade? Yes. So I have a daughter your exact age. And what made you interested in doing this? I thought it would be fun just to learn about a doctor, especially since I want to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I'll change 
my profession and want to become a doctor since I learned a lot. Just do whatever makes you happy. And I have to say, working in the hospitals, the nurses actually run the hospitals. <laughs> for the most part. Actually, I was in the ER earlier and I've seen more nurses than I've seen doctors. So. Especially when you're training, you need to be nice to everyone, right? You rotate through. You're not there the whole time, but the nurses are there the whole time. So they are a force to be reckoned with. So more power to you if that's what you decide to do. Thank you. Okay, so Dr. Moreno, on our show, we ask all of our guests the same question. If you could give your 13-year-old self advice, knowing what you know now, what would that advice be? To never be afraid to voice your opinion. I think when I was 13, I always stayed on the sidelines. And I think now, having taught in the program that I teach and having children, it's nice to see that Empowerment comes with vocalizing their thoughts and opinions. Um, And I think that's really important. No opinion is a bad opinion and no thought is a bad thought. But, you know, in the growth process, you know, you're stepping from your childhood shoes into your early adulthood. And there's so many new things. You don't know when it's okay to say something and when it's not. But if I had to go back, I think that's one thing I would give myself some advice on. Great. And thank you so much. We really are grateful that you joined us today. And Manisha, I think you are a phenomenal co-host. So yes. thank you for leading us. Thank you. Yeah. And I wish everyone a great night. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick. My co-host today was Ranisha from MS356 in Queens. She was assisted by Hannah Prescott-Everly. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by David Hoffman and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.